Amen, amen. Good morning, Renewal. Good morning. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm lead pastor here at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you're new with us, I just want to say welcome to you. Welcome to our church. You picked a great Sunday to be with us. As you can see, it's one of our Vision Sundays. Vision Sunday here. We started this new series called Deep and Wide. Deep and Wide, because we're thinking about our church, and as we're growing as a church, we wanted to think, like, how are we going to grow, God? How would you want us to grow? And, and the words that kept coming to my mind were deep, deep and why. We want to grow deep and wide as a church. And we've been looking at that over the last couple of weeks as we've been thinking about what does that mean to grow? What does it mean to be a deep and wide church? Last week, we talked about what is deep? What is why? What, what do these things mean? This week, we're going to look at it a little bit more practically. How does this translate into our church? What does it mean for us as a church body? Remember, if you were here last week, this week, these couple weeks, I've been kind of doing this kind of expedited membership service. So if you're wanting to be a member here at our church, at the end of my sermon today, I'm going to do a membership call. Some of y'all probably don't even know what that is, but if you grew up in a black church, you know exactly what it means. You come, and I'm going to call, so I'm like an altar call. And if you want to join our church, you can do so today. Meet me at the altar at the end of our sermon. Just listen. You'll know when I tell you to come, all right? Amen? Because God's doing an awesome thing in our church, and I'm so excited about it. Um, this next season of growth, this next season for our people, this next season of what could God do here in the city of Chicago. And I hope you're excited and you'll jump in with us. Amen. If you got a Bible, won't you meet me in Acts chapter 2? We're going to be in the same text we were in last week, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Once you got it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me, if you will, or if you're able. Acts chapter 2. Since it's 9 o'clock, if you got it, I want you to say, got it. Got it. it. All right. All right. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, the text reads, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together in all things and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those we're being saved. Very words of God, amen. Today I want to preach on deep and wide part two. Can you say deep and wide part two? It's easy, right? It's just part two. Deep and wide part two. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness, God. We thank you for how amazing you are, Lord Jesus. I just pray that you'd have your way in this place, Lord Jesus. Let your word fall afresh in your people. Hide me behind the cross, God, and have your way in this place, Lord. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Today, as we get into our our time... I have three practical marks I want to talk about this morning. Three practical marks I want to talk about as individuals in a deep and wide church. What does it look like to be individuals in a deep and wide church? And the three marks are, number one, we trust our leadership. We trust our leadership. Number two, we give of our treasure. And number three is service. We're marked by service. Marked by service. Three marks. Trust our leadership, give of our treasure, Number three, service. Amen? 
Last week, we began our vision series. We began by asking this question, how do churches normally grow? And we saw that churches normally grow by growing deep or wide. They don't normally do both. But as we look at the scripture last week and we looked at what the Bible calls us to, churches, as God wants us to grow, he wants us to grow both deep and wide. See, a church that grows deep, if you remember from last week, it grows together in community and fellowship and in the word of God, growing deep in the word of God together. But then it shouldn't stop there, but they should continue to grow wide because the very things that they're learning that's keeping them deep, they don't keep to themselves or inside the four walls of the church, but they take it outside into the streets and in the highways and the byways and they tell people about Jesus, hopefully bringing them into the fold of everything that's going on here. So again, it doesn't stop here in the church. It doesn't stop in your home or your small group, but hopefully it trickles into your work and the jobs and the things that you're doing so you can tell everybody about the good news of Jesus. In essence, here it is, when Jesus calls us and he says, go out and make disciples of all nations, he says, go out. He doesn't say keep it to yourself. He says, go out and make disciples of all nations. In essence, the gospel is not just for you and I once we know who Jesus Christ is, but it's for us to go out and share it with a fallen world and for folks that don't know about who he is and bring them hopefully into the same foe and the same understanding standing and the grace of gospel of Jesus Christ that we know. Amen? So what I want to do is I want to look at the same text today, but I want to focus on what deep and wide growth looks like more practically for us as a church. Now as we get into our passage, remember, this passage is, is at the beginning of the early church and it's right after my man Peter preaches this sermon. Jesus has just ascended to heaven. Peter steps up. He preaches the best sermon ever preached, and and the church goes from 120 people to 3,000-plus believers following his message. See, they grew really quickly from this pretty small, deep church to this huge, wide church. And I want to take a look at what that translates to us. How does that look like practically to us? What does that look like for us as we grow deep and wide together? Amen? So looking at this text in verse 42... It's something like a thesis statement of the passage, 42. It's a thesis statement for the rest of the passage. It says that the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayers. And then it says that all came over every believer, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Now, breaking down verse 42, the first thing the church devotes themselves to is what? It's to the apostles' teaching. They are devoted to their leaders. Hear me. There's a certain level here of honor that is given to the apostles. Let me put it this way. Early Christians were able to give of themselves, to give of their finances and their, 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 their talents, their, their treasures, because they were able to follow and trust their leaders as well as God. Silent here, y'all may not like that. You see, when, when you don't trust leadership and can't give willingly to your church, there's a lot of times this control issue going on. It's a control issue. There's a, there's a lack of trust in leadership and how your money or your time or you will actually be used. See, when you give, you have to be able to trust God. You got to be able to trust him also with those he puts into leadership. You got to trust them to be able to manage your time, your money, all of those things wisely. And that's tough. That's tough. 
Because I know some of you all have been put through the ringer by church leadership and other people in your life, even friends. You're not vulnerable with friends. You, it's hard to trust people with yourself because you want to control all these things and you've been hurt a little bit. But, but it, it takes a lot of trust. Because here's the thing, and, and, I don't, and don't think I'm just trying to tell you to trust me. That's not what this is. God calls his people. He does call people into leadership. And when people don't trust the leadership, the church will not grow. The church will remain stagnant. It will not go further. And, and don't hear me saying, be a doormat. Do whatever your pastor says. You just lay down, do all those things. No, I'm saying there has to be a high level of trust and honor to those that are given in leadership. You don't believe me? All right, let's look at, let's look at Scripture. For my Bible thumpers in here, I know some of y'all go to Moody and you know, you know the Bible pretty well. So, 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 so here's the thing, what happens to the nation of Israel and the Israelites when they're free from Egyptian captivity and they don't listen to Moses? An 11-day journey, that should, it should have taken them 11 days to get to the promised land, but instead it took them 40 years. 40 years. Because time and time again, they trusted and leaned into their own understanding instead of trusting the one that God had put into leadership. Friends, to be a church and to be in a church, it means that you need to submit. It means that you need to be able to follow the leader and the vision of the church that God has given to the leader. Or else the church doesn't go forward. It doesn't move. And, and, and here's the thing. This isn't just a principle that applies to the church. This isn't just a principle that, that applies to what we do in here. I Man, I want you to think about it. Take church out of the equation. How many times can you go into your job and just tell your boss, I ain't listening to you today, bro. bro. <laughs> I got my, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to say what I want to do. Disrespect you. I'm coming late. To, I'm doing whatever I want to do. And, and, and then the, the business still goes forward. No, that, that doesn't work. Nothing moves forward with backbiting, dissension, and lack of trust. There has to be a certain level of honor and trust that's given. And here's the thing. You, you heard me say this before. You heard me say this before, but everything we do and we believe about the church and God family, it drives everything we do in our lives. It trickles into everything we do. And if you can't trust God with your pastor, how are you going to trust him with your boss? How are you going to trust them with your, your spouse, your kids, your friends? There has to be a high level of trust. And friends, here's my point. In order for uh, anything to move forward, in order for us to move forward, we have to be able to trust God first, but we also got to be able to trust those he puts in place to lead. Hear me. If you can't trust the pastor that you sit under, and I'm not just talking to the folks in here that call Renewal Church home, because a lot of you all are visiting. But if you can't trust the pastor that you sit under in the church that you're in as your spiritual authority and your covering, the one that's caring for you, the one that's leading you, the one that's discipling you, then you don't need to be at that church. You, you don't need to sit in that church. And here's the reason why, because if you sit in that church and you can't trust them, you will keep the church from going forward. It will remain stagnant. It will decline because you're sitting in there and you don't trust them. This dissension grows in your heart, and it's like cancer. It spreads throughout the church. 
You have to be able to trust the person that's in leadership, the one that God has given the vision, and trust them as your spiritual authority, the one that cares for you. And that's what we see in this passage. These apostles, they, they, they're trusting the apostles. These people are trusting the apostles first. It's the first thing there. And the church grows. I know that's tough, but it's biblical. And I'm thankful that I have a covenant in my life that are guys that sit over the top of me so I can't do whatever I want but they care for me. It's biblical to have leadership in place and trust authority. The text moves on and it says that they had all things in common. I love this. Now what does this mean? Hear me, this does not mean that they were all the same. It doesn't mean that they were all the same ethnicity, they made the same amount of money, but it means that they gave of themselves their possessions, their money, and they shared everything. It is hot up in here. They sold their possessions, and and they made sure everyone was taken care of. They gave everything they had away. They they made sure everybody in the church was taken care of. Now here, I I know I just talked about people caring, people just just submitting to the leader and things of that nature. So just so we don't get this mixed up with communism, this is not what I'm talking about here. These folks gave willingly. They gave willingly, y'all. They weren't forced, and they gave because they knew what Jesus had given up for them. They knew that Jesus gave it all when they were undeserving. And family, when the gospel of Jesus Christ, it it reaches into the depths of your heart, and it becomes real to you. When it becomes real to you, family, you you can't help but to give all away. When When you realize that Jesus gave it all up, being God in the flesh, being beaten, whipped to death, spit on, kicked, and nailed to a cross for you, family, you can't help but to give of yourself because he gave first. Because if he hadn't given first, we would have nothing. We deserve death. Because of our sin, we deserve death, but, but because Christ gave up his life, we, we, we are alive under his grace. And, and, and the crazy thing about his grace, is, and, and this is boggles me, it makes my mind spin because it's available to all, even if you don't believe. Which is why we're able to live, we're able to breathe, we're able to do, believe it or not. Here's the thing, there's a common grace of God. There's a common grace of God to all humanity and all creation because he loves us. And and this is why, as an unbeliever or a sinner, you're able to walk around and do what you do. There's grace that's cloaked over you still, not even being a believer. But hear me, Jesus is still in the business of saving souls, chasing after people because he still wants his folks back with him. And see, to those of us that have experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, not the common grace, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, family, here's the thing. He still runs after you. When you fail, when you you mess up, he still chases after you. He still wants you. It blows my mind that he still wants me, friends. And when you realize the vastness and the reality of Jesus' grace, y'all, it makes you want to give. Not by force, but willingly you give of yourself because he gave it all up. And the thing that boggles me, though, is that Christians were known as the most stingy people. We're commonly known as stingy people. We don't give. And the person that gave it all is the one we follow. Mm. 
It doesn't make sense. So, so here's what I want to do. I, I want to do this because I, I know some of you guys, you were like me, you hate hearing the pastor talk about money. You don't like him talking about giving your money. So this is what I want to do. I want to look at what the Bible talks about and how it instructs us all to give money to the church, how it, it instructs us to give our money away. Because I was one of those folks sitting in the same seat as you. I'm like, when the pastor start talking about money, I tuned all out. It was over. I don't want to hear it. But here's the thing. There's a biblical mandate to Christians to give of their finances, to give of themselves. So I want to look at what the Bible calls us to do. What does it say for us? And here's some statistics. Here's some things. About a quarter of every church, period, a quarter of the church, not the whole church, a quarter of the church are the actual people that give. Not just our church. This is churches all, I'm not talking about tithing, I'm talking about people giving. A quarter, and it's the same thing for our church, about a quarter of you all in here, uh, uh, we all give. It's about a quarter of us that give. And here's the thing, just a quarter. And, and I, the reason I think that is is sometimes it's because we don't know exactly what the Bible says to do, what it calls us to do, how, how it calls us to give, or what should we give. What could we do? I want you to imagine, what could we do if everyone actually gave? Not just in this church, but churches, period. What would the church actually be able to do? I, I don't think there would be too many homeless people. I think we'd be able to send missionaries all over the place. We wouldn't have a church problem. People would be in the church. We'd be in the streets. And justice, I don't think there would be too much going on. But people don't give to the church because we want to control it, right? We're going to talk, we're going to unpack this, so stick with me. The folks in our, in our passage, they gave. And for them, it wasn't just their money. It wasn't just their money, but they gave of their possessions also. They sold possessions. They gave money away. They were, as the Bible calls in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, it calls them cheerful givers. Look at it with me. It says, each one must give as he decided in his heart, and not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? A cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Better translated, hilarious. Hilarious giver. And hilarious means extremely funny, over the top. And let me put it this way. You ever done something that was so outlandish in your life? You ever done something that was so crazy that, that you just had to sit back and laugh at yourself? I mean, you ever gave something away that was so cherished, cherished it was deeply cherished to you, and you just look back and, and you had to laugh to keep from crying? Like, I can't believe I gave that away. I remember I had these Beats headphones. Y'all know the new Beats headphones? I know you guys probably seen the commercials. I had these Beats Pro headphones, the studio ones, the $400 joints. Those, those, man, they were nice. You know, you put them on your head, and it felt like I had a straight stereo system just, just all in here. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't mess with me. I, I just, I heard every, I didn't even know things were in music like that in my, in my head. And I'm listening to him, and I love these things. My, my friend had given them to me. He said, man, here, have these headphones. I got a whole bunch of them. Here you go. And I had them, and I loved them. I was walking around with them. I thought I was the man. And then the problem was my boy, he was a rapper. And he, you know, he had the $10 headphones on his head. He's like, yeah, man. And he saw mine, and he started like, literally drooling like a dog. Like, oh, my gosh, I got to have those headphones, man. And I'm like, yeah, you, you know you want these headphones. It wasn't right. Y'all got to forgive me in my heart. It was messed up. But 
you know, uh, Jesus obviously did something because one day he was sitting on my couch watching a show. I just went back to the room, got my headphones and packed them up, put them in an original package. And I said, here, man, happy birthday. And I just walked away and I went to my room and y'all just start cracking up laughing. Like, I can't believe I just did that. Those are my headphones. I love everything about them. And here's the thing, friends. The Bible tells us to give cheerfully. Better translated hilariously, which means to the point that it does not make sense. You, and you just got to laugh to stop from crying because it doesn't make sense. And God loves the hilarious giver, which is why when you give this way, you do experience joy. You do experience blessings and things that he gives in return. He loves the hilarious giver. And here's the thing. It's still just a token compared to what Christ gave up. He was beaten on our behalf. He was punched. He was kicked. And nails put in each one of his hands. He hilariously gave up his life for people who did not love him. Jesus was rich, but yet for our sakes, he became poor. Man. And for us today, we're not talking about losing our lives. We're talking about our finances, our possessions, the things that we can get more of. And, and, and so the mission of God can be further. We're, we're talking about giving those things. Friends, our church can not grow if you and I, we don't jump in together and we give. And hear me, Renewal, it does, it, we don't exist here just for what's happening inside the four walls of this church. We want to take this out into the highways and the byways and, and start mission organizations. We want to give money away. We want to do more church plants. The church is called to give and to give money away and give ourselves away, just like the people in this text. But that does not happen if we don't jump in and do it all together. And I know you're probably saying, okay, Pastor D, I get it. I'm supposed to give. But what amount should I give, right? What, what amount should I give? What does the Bible tell me? Well, the Old Testament tells me 10%. Should I, should I give 10%? What, what should I do? Hear me. The Bible gives us three ways of giving. It gives us three different types of giving. You might want to write this down. This may be new. Three types of giving. You have tithes, you have offerings, and you have alms. You got tithes, you have author, offerings, and alms. They're not all the same thing, nor should they all be lumped together. Biblically, the Bible teaches to give your first fruits or your tithe to the storehouse. Or in our case, that's the church. Which in the Old Testament, people would give 10% off the top of what they earned. So as soon as the check came in, they gave 10%. Before they spent anything, they gave 10% away. This is an intentional amount that you set aside, whether that's 10% or more, and give it every month. So as soon as you get paid, depending on how you pay, you give it away. That's a tithe. That's a tithe. Yes, friends, it is definitely in the Old Testament, and the New Testament says that we're under grace. So here's the thing. For me, that actually intensifies this principle a little bit more, because if you're under grace, it says that you should give as grace has been proportioned to you, and Jesus gave everything. He gave his whole life away, so man, 10%, we should be giving way more than 10% if we're giving as grace has been proportioned to us. But if you're not giving, 10% is a good starting place. It's still in the Bible. It's still biblical. It's a good starting place. Just try it. Just try it. Try it for six months. Just try it. God says that in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. He says, go ahead. 
he, this is the only time you really see God taunt somebody. He says, go ahead, try to give me your money, give it to me. See if I don't return it back to you and blow up the gates. It's not necessarily just talking about you being prosperous or anything, but the joy that you receive from giving and seeing another person come to the faith or seeing a church being built. I mean, the joy that you receive, just try it, he says. Try me. My family, personally, we give, we start off 10% and off of the gross salary, you, whether you give off your gross, your net, that's up to you. You want God in your gross, you want him in your net, it's up to you. Then I was taught to save about 10% after that. So give 10, save 10, then you live off the other 80, and that's just a starting point. You can give over and above that if you want. You can give. I mean, I mean, think about this though. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the early church? 3,000 plus people coming to the church day by day, giving, just, let's just do 10%, giving 10% of what they have to the church. 3,000 people. We wonder how the church grew. 3,000 people giving. I mean, if it's me and I'm watching this, this has got to be a sight to see. 3,000 plus people giving of what they had, that, that's going to cause me to have questions. I want to know what's going on there, which means I want to I go where they're going. It, and hence, the church grows because people give. It, go, it, it grows because people see you giving. Now, an offering, it's an over and beyond gift after your tithe. That can be given to a special fund at your church, if we're doing a, a building fund or something of that nature, or it can give to another organization, parachurch organization, or something outside of the church. My family, this is what we do after our tithe is given. We look back at our finances, we see what we have, and if we have a little bit over and beyond, we're saying, okay, this is what we're passionate about, let's give to this organization, let's give here. But hear me, that does not interrupt our tithe. It, it doesn't take away from what we give to the church. It doesn't take away from what we give to the storehouse. See, those are offerings. It's over and beyond. And here's the thing, because I know a lot of you all support other organizations. You support a lot of parachurch ministries and things of that nature. But if people always split up their tithe to give to other organizations outside of the church, the church will never be able to do what this passage says where people are without need. People's needs are being met. So we have to give our tithe to the storehouse and then over and beyond give your offerings. Because here's the thing, the church, we do support a lot of these mission agencies and things of that nature. Even right now, part of your support, part of what you're giving to the church is given to other organizations in the city. 10% of our giving goes to church plants across the globe already, just as a church plant. So don't, don't, don't let your giving be interrupted or trickle into each other. They, they don't need to be mixed up. There's a tithe, there's an offering. And the last type of giving is an alms. It's alms. These are given to the poor. Alms are given to the poor. There's over 2,300 verses in the Bible about God's heart, talking about his heart towards the poor, the widow, or the orphan, which means that as believers, hear me, we should care. We should care. This does not mean as soon as you see a homeless guy outside on the street that you need to give everything you have to him, empty your pockets and do all that. That's not what I'm saying. But your heart should break for him. Your heart should break to the point, the family, that, that, that you have compassion and you seek to do something, whether it's giving money away or helping him get on his feet, introducing him to another organization like Breakthrough. Th these are the things that you, you, it should break your heart to see another individual struggling. 
biblical. We see this right here in the next chapter in verse, in chapter 3 of Acts. You flip over, keep reading, there's a man that can't walk. He can't walk. He's sitting outside the temple and he's asking for alms. And Peter walks by, he's like, I don't have money, but what I do have, I'll give to you. He gives him Jesus. The man rises up and he walks and he's running around literally. And people knew this man and now they're standing there in amazement because they knew he couldn't walk, but now they're coming to know Jesus because this guy can walk again. See, Peter didn't just walk by, but he stopped and he helped. There's a mandate for Christians to give. Family, hear me. The church grows deep and grows wide because we give financially to the church. We take care of one another and those that are in need. And Renewal, I know this is tough. This is the last part of a disciple, our discipleship process that we actually want to get into. We're going to our grave with our check in the air like this. I don't want to let go. I'm not doing it. This, this is mine. Here's the thing, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it. He's given it to you. What does it look like for you to give back? What does it look like you to give? What does it look like? I mean, what does it look like for you in your life right now to be a hilarious giver? What does that look like? That's the question. How can I trust God with my finances? The church in our text, they grew because people trusted their leaders and their teaching, they gave their finances, and lastly, you see them serving and giving of themselves. Hear me, the church does not grow because people come and fill a seat on Sunday morning. That looks great, but that's not how the church grows. It looks good to have people filling up these seats, but here's the thing, as people come, family, they have to commit. We need people to commit to the church, to give to the church and serve, and then that trickles into everything we do outside of these doors, which brings more people in, whether it be our homes or here in the church. See, the church right here was able to go forward and grow because everyone jumped in and served. They served, and God added to their number daily after that. Nobody just showed up and sat in a seat. They all jumped in. They got involved. They served. And hear me, <laughs> this is funny, but Barna's doing a study about this where people, people actually stop tithing because they're serving. People start counting their tithe as I serve in kids' ministry. And it, it, makes, it, re it really makes no sense. You might laugh at it, but it's true. People are like, man, well, I served here. I don't need to give. And it may be funny, but that's how people are starting to think about it. I, a pastor friend of mine, he cracked me up because he said in a sermon, he's like, man, how do you even quantify that? How, how do you put that into dollars and cents? Well, I worked $100 per hour today in kids' ministry. Next, next, next week, I'm going to work minimum wage. I mean, how do you quantify that? But that's how we think. That's so how we're starting to think, well, I served, I don't necessarily need to give my money. And here's the thing, the church gave and they served and it went forward. Time is not money when it comes to the church. It's not. This is not a job. But hear me, friends, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to serve and give. Jesus did all that he did so that we would be able to Live, let alone give anything or serve. It's a privilege to serve. 
It's a privilege. It's not a burden. And hear me, some of you guys have heard me say this before, whether you're sitting in my office or we've been talking in passing. Here's the thing. When serving becomes a burden and it becomes tiresome to you, in that moment, you need to step back, take a seat, because your heart's not in the right place anymore. It's not in the right place. You're not going to benefit anybody. You're not going to give to the ministry in that place. And here's the thing. If you don't do that, you'll probably leave the church. You'll leave the church burnt out and spiritually dry, and you won't come back, not to our church or any other church. So step back. It's a privilege to serve. But see, some of the problem, and here's the thing, I, I think some of the problem is that, is that we tend to approach the church or God with this sense of entitled privilege. Mm. Entitled privilege because we have been such a privileged people. And hear me. This might hurt a bit, but I think we need to talk about it a little bit. This privileged mentality, this sense of entitlement that's ingrained in a lot of us as Americans. And here's the thing, Jesus gave everything he had, not expecting anything necessarily in return. He gave everything he had. No entitlement, just give it all. We're probably the most privileged nation in the world. And I, and I don't say this meaning privilege in the fact that there's equality here in the states with everything that's going on and all the division across the world. I've been literally recently in tears crying out to God saying, come Jesus, please. I mean, I, I'm not talking about that, but what I mean is that there's some places, family across the globe that don't even have water. And we're upset because our Netflix show got interrupted because the internet's going too slow. Come on. Like, that's privilege. We have an extreme privilege being here in America, but the problem is that this privilege mentality, hear me y'all, it trickles down into everything that we do. And the thing that boggles me, here it is, is that even when we don't do anything to earn something, we still feel entitled to something. It really makes no sense. See, what happens is, is that we, we, we don't recognize many privileges that we have, like simply having running water, having clean water to drink, and then we operate from a sense of entitlement, like we're owed something. We take all of these things for granted, and we operate it from the sense of entitlement instead of thankfulness, instead of thankfulness. And, and the entitlement, it creeps into the church. It creeps into the church, and like the church, you, you start acting like the church is just for me. It's for my good, it's for my rest, it's for my growth, it's for my well-being, et cetera, on down the line. It's this me complex. When you have done nothing to earn all of these things, but Christ did all of this. He did everything so that we don't have to do anything. So, so the only way we should, we should approach the church or the things of God with, is with a heart of thankfulness, saying, thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for hanging on the cross with me. Just thankfulness, just pouring out of you. Hear me, family, hear me clearly. Entitlement has no place in the Christian's life. Let me say it again. Entitlement has no place in the Christian's life. Serving and living for Jesus is a privilege. It's not an entitled privilege. There's a big difference. And I don't say this to guilt trip you or make you feel bad, but think about it. Think about it, if you, if you can't serve and give to your church, 
the place that the Bible calls, uh, and Jesus calls, the bride of Christ. I wonder you hate your job. Your marriage may be on the rocks, or you can't stand your kids, they get on your nerves. You can't stand school, you hate taking tests, all of these things, you hate everything because you don't see everything that you have. We don't see everything that we have as a privilege and a gift from God. We serve the church and others because of what Christ did on our behalf, and that mentality should trickle down into everything we do. And hear me, family, hear me, hear me clearly, that has nothing to do with you going to heaven or your salvation. This is not works-based salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. As a believer, you are assured of your salvation and going to heaven and be with him. But this is the proper response we have to knowing all that Jesus did for us to make a way salvation. We serve. We give. We honor our leaders. We dedicate ourselves to the scriptures. We fellowship. We pray. And what happens is that people see this happening at your church. People see this happening in your lives and in your homes and in your jobs. And just like it happened with the early church where it went from 120 to 3,000 plus, here's the thing. People see something different and they say, I want that. I want to know about that. And they come running and the church explodes. All they were doing, all the people in this text were doing, they're just responding to what Jesus had done for them in private spaces and in public spaces, and God grew the church day by day. Family, it's like I said last week, there is no rocket science to church growth. It's not. We grow by responding to what has been done for us, by giving of what we have and of yourself, and we grow wide by this not just staying right here in the seats that you're sitting in right now or in these four walls, but taking the same thing out into our lives to where everybody can see it. There's no reason, there's no reason we or any church family should struggle getting volunteers. Hear me, if we serve from a place of knowing what Christ did for us instead of a privileged entitlement, if we serve from that place of knowing what He did for us, or instead of this me complex, then serving your church shouldn't be like pulling teeth. It shouldn't be. There shouldn't be a ministry hurting for volunteers. I mean, why not serve in kids' ministry? Why not? Why not serve in kids' ministry? This is the next generation of kids that are coming up, and we get the privilege of pouring out our souls onto them, investing into the kids, the next leaders of the day. And here's the thing, if we don't do it, somebody else will outside of these doors, and I don't think we want that. I mean, there's no reason we or any church should really be struggling trying to get kids' ministry volunteers. If parents and all of us jump in, we should have more than enough to serve. You might not even have to serve once a month. I mean, no offense to any other ministry, but here, what's more important? I love every ministry in here, but what's more important than investing in the kids, the next generation that's coming up? What's more important than that? It may not be as glamorous as standing on this stage and everybody seeing you, but we can't complain when they grow up and become a nuisance to somebody else because we didn't invest in them when they were younger. What a privilege that is to be able to pour into our kids. And friends, if it's not kids' ministry, why not the worship team? Why not production? Why not security? Why not prayer? And on, 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 and on. Why not jump in? Why not serve? 
As, as Christians, family, there is a mandate. We should be, there, there should be no excuse for us not serving. Family, the church cannot move forward if we do not serve and give of ourselves. If we don't lay it down and say, use me however you will, God. This, hear me, this isn't just on the staff of the church or the pastors or people that you see. It's on all of us. That's how the church grows. They did this together and the church grew wide. Serving at a church is a privilege and it trickles into everything else that we do in our life. I mean, if we can't serve our church, how are you going to serve at your job? How, how will you serve at your job? How are you going to look at your job as a privilege and a gift when you're not, now you're getting paid? I mean, if you couldn't serve for free and you struggle with entitlement, how are you going to do it now when you got a salary? I mean, that, that's a little, that's tough. How, how are you going to do that? I mean, just think, friends, what, what would it be like if you walked into your job every day with a smile on your face? I mean, you hated everything else, but you walked in with a smile on your face. Because here's the thing, I know some of y'all walk into your job every day looking like death rolled over twice, just, just hit, like, I don't want to be here, I can't stand this place. I mean, what if you went in and your job, he, he may be, your boss may be a straight mess, he, he may be as mean as can be, but you just honored him or her regardless. What, what, what's that look like for you? What would that do to them? You know, something that really messed me up this week is I was studying the scriptures and I'm looking at, I started thinking of slavery. I started thinking of slavery. I started about thinking about being a slave, someone else's property. They were beaten, treated like dogs, animals, inhumane, blisters on their hands and their feet from picking cotton and other things. I mean, sun beating down on them all day long, but they served their masters in the midst of injustice. And then I started reading some of the hymns that they would sing in the midst of the fields as they're picking cotton and working on about their day. I started reading some of these old hymns that they would sing like, go down to Moses, still away to Jesus, wade in the water, swing low, sweet chariot. Some of y'all may know some of these songs. Look at the words of swing low, sweet chariot with me. It says, swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. I looked over to Jordan and what did I see? coming for to carry me home. I saw a band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. Friends, hear me, they sang these songs together all throughout the fields and throughout the day. It rang with these hymns of joy and of Jesus, and they were able to serve all throughout the day. And not, and not because they loved what they were doing, not because they were being treated fairly, but because they knew who Jesus was, what he did for them, and the fact that he was coming back for them. They served. They gave of themselves in the midst of injustice, and guess what? Slavery ended. They stayed together. They served regardless of what happened to them. And that really convicted me. It, it messed me up in my spirit. It messed me up because here they are serving, getting whipped and, and beaten, treated like an animal, someone else's property. And, and here's the thing, if they could serve like that, if they could serve like that under, uh, under someone else beating them, and here I am, I'm not a slave. 
I'm not getting beat down or forced to, to serve. What, what could I do? What could I do from a place of freedom and not slavery? How could I make Jesus' name great? Well, what could I do? What if I took that same understanding that they had to my job? What would my life be like? What would others see? Family, Jesus gave it all. Hear me, getting beat to a pulp, nails in his hands, hoping and praying that people would come to know him, but he did not have this entitled expectation of people coming just because I did this. And if anybody should have had that, Jesus could have had it. But he didn't. Hear me, serving is a privilege. The church grows when we, when we trust God, when we honor our leaders, when we give financially, we give of ourselves, and that should trickle into all that we do and throughout all our lives, and that people should see this outside of the church. Hear me, being a Christian and the church growing really revolves around our lifestyles. It revolves revolves around us, and then people see that. They notice Jesus, and they say, I want the same thing. I want that. Amen? Now, as we end the day, the band comes forward, there's a few different ways that I want us to respond to this text. God's doing something awesome here in our church. And I don't want it to stop here. This is just the beginning of what God is doing in our church. This is just the beginning. And I know this message was tough at times. It's been tough for me as I've been wading through it myself. I know many of you have had some rough experience with leadership and church leadership before, whether you've been run through the mud, and maybe you've been giving your money and, 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 and people misused your money. You, you, you've had all these things happen to you, but I'm asking you to trust God with renewal. Trust God with renewal. Jump in, and if it's not with us, listen to me, wherever you end up, wherever you end up, don't just sit in a seat. Seek to jump in. Seek to help advance the kingdom of God by growing deep in the fellowship and seeing the church grow wide. Be the disciple that God has called you to be. Amen? There's three ways I want us to respond this morning. Number one, if you're here and you're saying, I want to be a member, I want to jump into Renewal Church of Chicago, I want to be here with the folks here at this church, I want to join, this is what I, I don't want you to wait. I'm going to ask you to just come on forward while I'm talking and just stand right here at the altar. We're going to pray over you. We're going to praise you. I, I want you to come. Go on out. Be bold. If you're here and you're saying, I want to be a member, meet me down here in front, and you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Renewal, if you want to jump in. Just step out of your seat right now. Come on down. If that's you and you want to be a member here at our church, would you come and meet me right here in the front? Can you guys put your hands together for those that are coming? This is, God is awesome. He's a good, good father. Amen. He is a good, good God. If you're here and you're saying, I want to be a member at Renewal today. I want to be a part of this church. Won't you come and meet me in the front? And you're going to end up following Liz. We're going to take you to the library. We're going to fill out an application. And we're going to make this official. Amen. God is awesome. He's awesome. Is there anybody else that would come and say, I want to be a part of the church? God here at Renewal Church of Chicago. Amen. Amen. Can you guys follow Liz? And she's going to take you. I want you guys to put your hands together for the folks that have come. Yes.
God is good, isn't he? Secondly, maybe you're here at our church and you're a member. Or maybe you're just coming to visit and you're saying, I'm not ready to be a member yet. But I want to jump in. I want to be a part of what God is doing here. I want to be a part of the church. You're saying, I'm not ready to be a member. Or maybe you're a member and you haven't served yet. Won't you jump in and serve with us? This is the challenge I have for you. Outside in the lobby, there's tabletops out there with, with sign-up sheets. Don't leave today without signing up. Serve with us in one of the ministries. Jump in with us. God is doing something great here, but it's going to take every last one of the folks that are coming here. So during communion or after service, make sure you sign up on one of those sheets. Put your name. We'll contact you. We'll pull you in. We'll get you involved in our church. That's one of the best ways to jump in and get to know what God is doing here and get to know some of the leaders here in our church. And lastly, you may be sitting in your seat and saying, I never knew Jesus gave it all up for me. I never knew Jesus loved me that much. And I've been operating from a place of, I can do it myself. It's all about me. It's all about what I want to do. And you're saying, I need to repent this morning. I need to say sorry to Jesus and lay it all down for him. I need to give my life away. Here's the thing. Jesus gave his life away 2,000 years ago on the cross. And that same grace, that same goodness that was given back on that cross is still available to you. He's saying, here I am. Come to me. Come to me. Believe in me. Family, wherever you are this morning, remember, the church grows when the people jump in. And that same mentality starts to trickle down into everything that we do, family, and then God provides the increase. Let us be a church that grows both deep and wide with one another. Amen? Let's pray.